Let's read our text. This is the word of the Lord. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow. And gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown, and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him, and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let's pray together. Our gracious God in heaven, Lord, we come to you now. We come to you, our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We come in great need of your mercy and grace. We come as your children. We come needing to hear from you. We come needing our lives to be transformed. Lord, will you speak to our hearts this day? Lord, will you teach us how to be good and faithful servants? Because you are a good and faithful God. And you came to serve us oh so well. So Lord, be with us now. Uh, Lord, speak to us, speak to our needs, speak to our brokenness, speak to our sinfulness. Lord, convict, convince, and transform. Be glorified now. Might your spirit be at work as your word goes forth. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if children were supposed to leave and didn't leave yet, now would be a a good time. Um, But you're welcome to stay. That's up to your parents. Uh, In 1993... A film called A Bronx Tale came out. Has anyone seen this by chance? Just a few of you. That's what I thought. Let me set, set the background. So it's a set in New York City, in the Bronx. It's a coming-of-age story. 
It is Robert De Niro. Now you know who I'm talking about. It's his directorial debut, right? And he is the father in the movie, and he has a son, uh, and his son is played by a, a young man named Lilo Brancato, uh, and he's about 17 uh, in the older scenes in the movie. He's never even acted before, and it's a pretty amazing story how he gets the part. Uh, and a guy named Chaz Palminteri is, uh, is the, um, the gangster. It's a gangster movie, right? So uh, it, it, it's a rough one. It's not for the faint of heart. Now, as far as gangster movies go, it's almost like a G-rated version. Uh, but it, it, believe me, uh, watch it on TV, probably. Uh, uh, it's not for the faint of heart. Um, but so uh, there, uh, the, the, the context in the, in the movie is Robert De Niro, the father, is this hardworking right, bus driver. And he's an honest man. He's a fair man. He's a good man. And he's trying to raise his son. Uh, but his son is seeing all these gangsters and mobsters around him, and he's kind of like wowed by who they are and the power and the money and the lifestyles that they live, right? So he would often take his son, and the son's name is Colosino, right? They're an Italian family, right? Any Italians in here I'm willing to admit it? Okay, that's, that's, I got a little Italian, so. Um, uh, his son, Colosino, he would often take him on his bus route. And they're finishing up the route one day, and they're about to head to the ball game. Right? And his son asks him this question. His son says, do I have talent, Dad? And he says, of course you got talent. You got all the talent in the world. And he says, can I be a baseball player? He says, son, you can be anything you want to be. Right? Remember this. The saddest thing in life is wasted talent. And that line runs throughout the whole movie. And he goes on to tell him in that little scene something like, you know, if you, uh, he says, remember this, you know, if you do right, uh, he said, if, if, if you don't do right, you know, no matter how much talent you have, nothing good will happen. He said, but if you do right, right um, then good things will happen. He said, you hear me, son? He said, yeah. Okay. So it goes through the whole movie, and the, the movie ends, right, and now, uh, and I'm not going to give you a spoiler, right? Um, but uh, the son is reflecting on his life. Uh, and, he's still, and he's like 17, 18 at this point. The previous scene, he was probably 8, 9, 10. And he said, yeah, the saddest thing in life you know, is wasted talent. Now, here's the irony. This young man, Lilo Brancato, right? The sad irony. Who, this was his very first movie. What do you think happened to him after that? Well, he got in a few more really significant movies. Uh, Crimson Tide, uh, Renaissance Man, he was in The Sopranos, and lots of other things. But he got caught up in the lifestyle that a lot of young actors do. And so he ended up, eventually, uh, I won't go into all the troubles he got into, but he served eight years of a 10-year prison sentence. Uh, and shortly after he came out, some folks did a documentary on him called Wasted Talent. So here he was, the guy in the movie whose dad was trying to teach him about wasted talent and how it's the saddest thing in life, right? And he ends up having a documentary made about him called Wasted Talent. Now, our text today has a lot to say about talent and wasted talent. And so we want to dive into that. And I want to set the context of the passage here. Uh, we need to back up just a moment into Matthew chapter 23. Uh, Jesus is lamenting over Jerusalem, right? This is the last 
uh, time he's going to spend with his disciples, according to Matthew's text here, his last main block of teaching, that is. And so he now is moving towards the city. They can see the temple, and he tells the disciples, all these stones are going to get cast down, right? Like nothing's going to be left. And so the disciples then ask him, When's this going to happen, right? And what will be the sign? So he goes on to teach them about that, right? In, in Matthew chapter 24 and 25, um, and, and it's called the Olivet Discourse because they're sitting on the Mount of Olives just east of Jerusalem as they're making their way into the city and they sat down and asked him these questions and he answered them. He taught them for an extended period of time. And so for quite some time in that text, he's talking about the destruction of Jerusalem, and answering their questions. But he, Jesus goes on to teach about other things in the text also. And, and the turning point seems to be, and I think most people agree, uh, in verse uh, 36, uh, when he says, But concerning the day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. He had previously said, All these things are going to happen to this generation, the destruction of Jerusalem. And now he says, But concerning that day and hour. He goes on then to teach in multiple parables about his future coming, right? Uh, Not the destruction of Jerusalem, but when Jesus returns like at the end of the age to judge the world. And so there are three parables of judgment in Matthew chapter 25. Uh, The first is the parable of the ten virgins, right? Or the the wise and foolish virgins, depending on how your, your Bible titles that, right? Uh, and it starts off, it says, then the kingdom of heaven will be like. All right. So these parables are talking about the kingdom of heaven when Jesus returns to judge the world, like at the end. Right. So uh, our passage then starts off, for it will be like. And the it then is the kingdom of heaven. He's still teaching about the kingdom of heaven. He's still teaching about when he returns, right, to judge the world. So this is the, the context here of the parable. Right now, parables, just brief teaching on parables, are, you might have heard it said, earthly stories right, with heavenly meanings. They, it use, they use everyday, ordinary things that would have been familiar to their hearers to teach them things or principles about the kingdom of God. Now, parables can be tricky. Um, uh, when you study parables, uh, it's good to look for the main idea, right? The big picture. That's what you want, right? Uh, that's not to say it's not useful to look into some of the details, and we will look into some of the details. But if you're trying to assign meaning to every single detail, you can kind of get lost in the weeds, right? So you always want right, to not lose the forest right, for the trees, and you want to keep the big picture in mind. So the big picture, it's a parable of judgment. It's about Jesus uh, returning um, and so the, the big story then, or the basic story here, I'll just summarize it, tell you who the characters represent, and then we're going to dive in and look at some things. Right? Uh, so a man is going on a journey. Who do we think the man is? Well, it's God. Okay? The man is Christ. Right? Uh, going on a journey. Right? Uh, now, there are servants here. There are three. I think they happen to be men. Uh, but they represent, who do you think? Us. People. Okay, people in general, right? And they're being entrusted with property while the master's gone. Okay? So Jesus here, he's about to leave his disciples, and he's, but he's saying, I'm going to come back, and when I come back, right, I'm, I'm going to judge, but I'm going to give you things in the meantime, and then I'm going to call you to account for those things. 
Uh, In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 8, interestingly, it says this, When he, that is Christ, ascended on high, he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. So Christ ascending on high, yet but giving gifts to men, and then him coming back to judge them for the gifts that he's given them. This is really the context of the parable. All right, so far so good. So now after a long time, and we live in that long time, right? It's been almost 2,000 years. So after a long time, and who knows when Christ is returning, right? Concerning that day or hour, no one knows, not even the, Father, or not even the Son, but only the Father in heaven. Um, uh, so after a long period of time, the Master returns and settles accounts or judges, right? His servants. And he judges them for their faithfulness or their lack thereof. So we get the big picture. We get who the master represents. We get who the servants represent, right? The master's Christ. The servants are us, right? We live in this time. Christ will come back. He will judge everyone. Now, um, I said, it's not used to diving into, it's not good to dive into every detail, try and figure out every detail and what it means. But I think there are a few big picture details we do want to get from this that are often overlooked. So before we dive into the judgment scene itself, I want to look at some Uh, preliminary words from the first few verses here to see what they teach us. And I think the first thing they teach us is the generosity of the master, the generosity of God, the generosity of Christ. Listen again to verses 14 through 15. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one, he gave five talents to another two, to another one, each according to his ability, and then he went away. Now, do we know what a talent is in the Bible? I've been using the word talent, talking about this movie, and and using it the way we use it, right? Which is, you know, the gifts, the abilities, the things that you have been given, right, Um, that you're blessed with, right? Uh, Some people are good at music. I'm not one of those people, right? Some people are good at math. Um, I'm I'm okay there, right? Uh, Some folks were struggling with it up front here as we were having discussion and and gabbing around before service, right? People are good at different things. That's how we use talents. But the word talent in the Bible, when Jesus spoke this, it meant something specific. Now, in the Old Testament, it was a weight of measure. But by New Testament times, it had come to represent a monetary amount And it was really equivalent to a year's worth of wages. Uh, A year, uh, a year's worth of wages, right? Uh, So that's significant. Um, uh, So, um, uh, I'm sorry, got a little confused. Um, It's actually equivalent to 20 years of wages. Is that more significant? So that one year of wages would have been what? 30 grand, 40 grand, 50 grand, 60 grand, set by, by today's standards, right? Now, this is for a common labor. Let's take 50 grand, right? Let's just take $50,000. So if a talent is 20 years wages and not one, then we're not talking about $50,000. What are we talking about? We're talking about a million dollars. And... One of these servants got five talents, and one got two, and one got one. So this master, from his property, gave his servants 
in modern terms, by conservative estimates, $5 million and $2 million and $1 million. Christ, our God, is a gracious king. He's a generous king. And he gives liberally. And I know sometimes we have a hard time with that. Especially if you're from a certain background. I told you, I asked you the Italians where there were some, some folks who raised their hand. Well, I'm not just Italian. I got a little Scotch-Irish in me too. <clears throat> and Scotch-Irish can be known, right, to pinch a penny. Right? I'm not picking on you if you're Scotch-Irish. But they can be known for that, right? Um, and sometimes we hear in Christian circles, we might hear something like, maybe we've even said it, you know. God may not give you what you want, but he'll give you what you need. As if God only gives people just enough to get by. Is that really what the Bible teaches? That God just likes to give this tiny, you know, just enough, just the basics, no more, you know. Or is he a good father who gives gifts liberally to his children? If, if this were your allowance, kids, and you, if you get an allowance, my kids don't get an allowance. But if you got an allowance, all right, and, 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 and he were your father, this would be bigger than any allowance you've ever got. But he'd expect you to use it. He'd expect you to use it wisely. Right? Uh, so I want to suggest to you today that God's desire in general is to bless his children abundantly. Right? And, and, and when that doesn't happen... Um, far be it from us to say it's because God is stingy, right? Uh, more often so, it's probably because we're chasing after the wrong things. And he's not giving us the things that would actually be bad <laughs> for us. We want this, you know, and God's like, no, that's not going to be good for you right now. Okay? So the first thing I think we do see from this, right, is that God is gracious. That Jesus, the master here, is, is gracious, right? Uh, and, and that he blesses his servants abundantly. Right? Um, now, the second thing, in addition to the master uh, being very generous, he's also very wise. Did you hear at the end of the verse, just this little blurb, end of verse 15, to one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his Ability, right? to each according to his ability. You see, the master, God, uh, our Lord Jesus Christ, he gives different, but don't forget generous, <laughs> gifts to his servants, to his people. He gives different talents to men and women according to what is best for each of them individually. You see, God cares about the details. He knows us intimately. He cares about you individually. So he gives gifts and talents and abilities, right, to you just for you. He doesn't give you the gifts and talents and abilities that are suited to someone else, even though you may want those. We do sometimes, right? He doesn't give that someone else the gifts and talents and abilities that are suited for you, even though they may want what you have. 
He gives to each one, right, according, right, to his ability. And now you can see that I'm using this word, I'm blowing up this word talent now, right, because I think this is the right application of, of the text, right? It's, it's, it's a unit of money in New Testament times. It's, it's 20 years wages. We called it a million dollars or something on the order of that, right? And he's giving them out abundantly. Uh, uh, but for us, it's not helpful to just see this as money because the natural application of the text is God giving us gifts and talents and abilities. After all, the English word talent is derived and all of its meaning comes from this passage, Okay? Just like in many other languages, the, the word they have for talent is because of this passage in the Bible. So this, this parable is, 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 even, is inviting us to broaden it out. And so that's what we're, uh, we're doing here. Right? So God doesn't give you what's best for someone else. And he doesn't give someone else what's best for you. So despite what we may think, God knows what he's doing with this. And he's generous and he's wise, and that's good, right? That's good because he's good, right? God doesn't just do a bunch of whole good things and then he becomes good. Because God is good, the very definition of good, everything he does is good. And he's wise, and he's holy, and he's just, and he's so many more things, and we're just getting started. Now, one more note before we dive into the judgment scene itself. It's not the amount of talents that you get because, again, each person according to his ability. It's not the amount of talent that you get that's so important, is it? It doesn't look like it in this parable, right? Uh, the person who gets five earns five more. The person who gets two gets two more. The same words are said to both of them. You can't control the gifts and the talents and the abilities that you've been given, right? You can cultivate them to a degree, um, but I can try and play that piano as much as I want. It's not going to sound right. And my wife can make that thing sing, right? Uh, so we can't trade places there. She can do that. I cannot. But it's not how much we've been given. It's what you do with it, right? That counts. Right? By God's grace, you can put the talents and gifts and abilities that he has given you to use for his glory and for the upbuilding of his kingdom. This you can be faithful and we'll see this play out as we turn to the judgment scene. All right, we're moving forward now. So there's a few background uh, details I want us to get. I want us to see, because sometimes we skip over that. We don't know what a talent means. I want us to see how generous the master is here, because that's who our God is. I want us to see how good and wise he is in distributing the ways that he does, right? So the men receive their talents, right? And at once, two of them, right, they traded they made use of them. They, they, they put them uh, to, to good use. Most people think they, they, they started a business, right? Think about that. If you had $5 million or $2 million or a $1 million, you could start just about any business you wanted to, right? except Chick-fil-A, right? Because uh, they don't just let you start because, uh, because you have a lot of money. They're actually looking for the right people, right, uh, to name their brand. So uh, I always have Chick-fil-A in my mind. All right, so uh, the, the person who had five talents, right, uh, was given five talents, right? He gets five more. The person who has two gets two more. But one digs in the ground and he hides the money. Now, you think that's crazy, right? But hold on. I don't know if they still do this in school. But if you're my age, you know, mid-40s, 
You know, I'm going to guess if you're 30s. I'm going to guess if you're 50s, 60s, 70s. Did you do the time capsule thing when you were in elementary school? You did those time capsules, right? Um, where you took things from your day, you know, like so mid-80s, you know, I was like eight, nine years old. You know, you're, you're taking back to the future stuff or, you know, Star Wars stuff. Isn't it funny how it all came back anyway? We didn't even dig them up because we don't even know where those things are. But you dug things, you put them in the ground to keep them safe. They didn't have banks back then. This was their safe deposit box. People did this all the time. So what the person was doing in and of itself was not an uncommon thing. Right? It just wasn't wise in this instance. Right? So verse 19 begins our, our, our judgment scene, really. It's been a long time. The master comes back. Right? Uh, and we read that. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them, right? He, he judged them. And we're going to see, right, two responses, uh, right, uh, from the servants, right, and, and two very different outcomes, right? So first, we see, right, two servants uh, putting to use their talents faithfully, right? And, and the parable sure makes, it, it leaves the impression, it, it makes it seem they're very grateful, right, for what they've been given. Why do I say that? Because at once, right, they value what they've been given. They wanted to put it to use right away. So at once, they went out, right, and they traded, we were told. Right? Uh, and, and so by putting it to good use, right, for the master, they were eager to do that. They, they truly understood the words of Psalm 127, right? Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. And so they said, I want to put this to use for the master. I'm going to ask him to help me build, right, this house, right? So they put it to use for the master, and they both heard those famous words, right? And, and they're the same in verses 21 and 23. You can scan them now, but it doesn't matter which section I read them from. The one who got five talents, the one who got two, his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Christ calls them good and faithful servants. He doesn't call them perfect, but he calls them good, and he calls them faithful. And how can he call them that? I mean, doesn't the Bible teach that no one's good? And we know we're not faithful, but we serve a good and faithful king, right? Uh, And Christ is remaking his servants into his goodness, and into his faithfulness more and more each day. That's that big word, sanctification, or growing in grace, right? Uh, so we're far from perfect. We will never be this side of glory. But we're becoming more like Christ, and he's good. And we're becoming more like Christ, and he's faithful. So more and more every day we're becoming more good, if that makes sense, and more faithful. That's the goal of of the Christian life. So they're called good and faithful because Christ is good and faithful, right? And they're told that uh, he will set them over much, right? And and they got the same speech regardless of how much uh, they'd been given. And he gave them more. And he invites them into his joy, right? You're allowed to smile. (laughs) Christ invites them into his joy joy. Just think about that. Into the very presence of the living God, he says, well done, good and faithful servants. You've been faithful over little. I'll give you much. Enter into the joy 
your master. Do you long for that? To enter into the joy of your master, to see Christ face to face. First John tells us that when we see him, we will be like him. Good and faithful. All right. And this is good, right? Uh, so what are we to do as Christians, right? Surely this is a call for us, right, to use the gifts and the talents and abilities that God has given us, to use them faithfully, to serve him diligently, to long for that day when he says, well done, thy good and faithful servant. So we set our lives on following him and walking in his ways and bringing him glory by pointing others to his goodness and his faithfulness, right? Not our own, far from it. Now, that's for the first servant and the second servant, the five talents, the two talents. But to our other servant, the one who was given one talent, and he buried it. You see, he didn't at once put it to use. And we don't really hear any gratitude in his voice for what he'd been given. Listen to verses 24 and 25. He says, He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. He knew the master to be a hard man. Was he right? The master, our Lord Jesus, who says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Those are the words of a hard man. He not only knew the master to be a hard man, he levied false accusations against him. He said, you reap where you do not sow. You reap where you do not sow. And he lived in fear of the master. He lived in fear of the master. He would not put his talent to use at all. He didn't appear to even want it. Right, here, take this back. Right, he offers it back quickly, perhaps to rid himself of, of the reminder right, of his lack of faithfulness, of his lack of gratitude. And what is the master's response here? Well, let's read this. And there's a lot here, but we'll talk about a few pieces. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Again, there's a lot here, but let's look at just a few things. There's no commendation here. Right? 
There are no words of praise like there were for the first two. The master rightfully calls the servant two things. The first is wicked. I know that sounds harsh, right? To say the master rightfully calls the servant wicked. Why did he do that? Well, the servant didn't put to use, right, what he had been given. And he blamed the master for it. Let's think about this for a moment. He said, you are a hard man, and you reap where you don't sow. If that were true, should that not cause you to work even harder? It should. If that were true, in the words of the parable, shouldn't you then have put it in the bank so it could have earned some interest? And in this particular case, is there any reaping going on where there was no sowing? He had sown, the master had sown generously into this man's life. There was no reaping going on here where there was no sowing. So he rightfully calls him wicked because not only did he do nothing with what he was given, but he blamed the master for all of his own failures. Secondly, he calls him slothful. Do we know what slothful means? Especially little ones. Do we know what a sloth is? Have we seen Ice Age? Have you seen that movie? Okay, a sloth is a very slow-moving creature. Right? Uh, it's rare if you even see one, and when you see one, if you see it moving, it's, they don't move that much. Like, they don't move that much at all. Um, uh, so, uh, slothful means lazy. Right? And the servant, this servant was unwilling to do the work of investing the talent for the good of another. For the glory of God's kingdom. So as opposed to regarding this servant like he did the first two, he takes away the lone talent. Instead of welcoming him into the joy of his presence, he casts him away into the darkness. Right? Eternal hell, that's what this is talking about. Separation from all that is good and true and beautiful. And this, my friends, is truly wasted talent on a cosmic scale. This is wasting of good and generous talents that have been given from the Master Christ on high. And it's sad, and it's avoidable. You see, it's sad because this servant did not know the master as he really was. He assigned all kinds of blame to him. He, he said, you're, you're this way and that way, and nothing could have been further from the truth. So he ran, and he hid in fear, and he refused to serve him because he thought he was a harsh master. sad and also for us how avoidable 
You see, until Christ returns, until this parable becomes reality, or until you go see him, if you have been wasting the talents that he has given you, if you've been running from him in fear, if you don't know him as he truly is, then today he's inviting you to see just how good he is, just how gracious he is, just how generous he is. He wants all of his servants everywhere to know him as he truly is. And not the ideas that they have of him as they're running in fear. See, he's inviting you into the joy of knowing him now. Yes, the Lord Jesus invites them into his presence then, but he's inviting you into the joy of knowing him even now. And he's a good king. And he's a faithful king. And he's a wise king, and he's a generous king, and he's a loving king, and he's kind, and he's humble, and he wants nothing more than to see young boys and girls all the way up to old men and women come into his kingdom to see him, to know him, to experience him, to taste and see that he is good. See, our King, the Lord Jesus, came and lived for us. And he came and he died for us. That we could have life in his name. Does this sound like a harsh king? Does this sound like someone you wouldn't want to serve? Oh, far from it. Psalm 2 pictures, right, a rebellious people and rebellious kings who want nothing further to do with the king and so they're trying to fight and rebel against him and how does that psalm end it ends with an invitation kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way kiss the son bow down before him because judgment is coming Christ is coming back to judge the living and the dead but kiss the son and when you kiss someone in antiquity Especially royalty. How did you do that? Where'd you kiss them? If they extended their hands, perhaps their hands. If not, you kissed their feet. Psalm 2, invitation to kiss the sun. When you come and kiss this king's hands and feet, what do you see? marks scars from where he died for you folks will you renew yourself this day if you name the name of Christ to put to use for his glory all the gifts and talents and abilities that you've been given he's given them to you generously Would you seek after him? Would you try more day by day to be good and faithful with what he has given to you? To put them to use for his glory. And if you don't know Christ, 
if you've never named the name of Christ, if you've never wanted anything to do with him, would you join God's people this day? Would you say that's the kind of king I want to serve? Because he's good and faithful. And I want to hear him say to me one day, well done, good and faithful servant. My prayer is yes on both accounts, that we God's people will serve him in this way and that those who don't know him would cry out to him and know him for who he truly is. Let's pray. Our gracious God in heaven, your generosity, your goodness, your mercy, your grace poured out upon us are too wonderful to even begin to comprehend. But Lord, we thank you that you have seen fit to make yourself known to people such as us, to call us out of darkness and into your marvelous light. Lord, would you do that even in the hearts and minds of people sitting here today, even in the hearts and minds of people listening at home? Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are good and kind, that you came to live for us, that you came to die for us, that you loved us when we were yet your enemies and when we were far from you and when we wanted nothing to do with you. Lord Jesus, come even this day for your children. Gather them into your family. Show them your goodness and your mercy. Holy Spirit, accomplish this good work in your people this day. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.